This is Bible Chat. Hey guys, welcome to Bible Chat. I'm your host, Caleb Sowers. And uh, instead of doing a full recap at the beginning of the episode today, uh, I just want to jump right in and we're going to talk about, well, we're going to ask the question, I guess. How much does God really love us? You know, this question gets asked pretty often in the church. And it's one that's, you know, asked hypothetically most of the time. You know, normally a teacher or a pastor, if they're preaching on on the love of God, you know, they'll ask the question, you know, how much does God love us? And they're waiting for that obvious answer. You know, how much does God love us? He loved us so much that he died for us. Or, you know, if if you're a little bit more grown up in the church, a little bit more spiritually mature, you're hoping for a scripture quote, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John three sixteen. you know, or if you're like me, you're hoping they won't go for the obvious reference, but maybe a little bit deeper with 1 John three sixteen. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And like I said, the question's asked and answered hypothetically in the church really often, but I want to ask it literally in this episode. You know, I want to dig into it and maybe shed a little bit more light on the answer. I think that one of the problems that we run into sometimes you know, if we've been in the church for a while or we've gotten kind of into the swing of things, we always touch those same topics. It's always those same topics, same questions, same answers, same characters. And we get so used to certain stories or certain aspects of the Bible or the gospel that we don't really dig into it anymore. You know, I learned quite a lot studying for this and and if you really take the time to look at it, I think it'll change your way of thinking about the gospel entirely and make everything view something, you know, view the whole thing in a new way. And and that's what I'm hoping for when I share this with you this morning. So, how much does God love us? If you're following along, turn to John 1, and we're going to go through some familiar verses here. John 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him was not one thing created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. Then skip down to verse 14. 
the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. If you're looking for a fancy theological word today, we call this the incarnation of Christ. It literally means that Christ became a man. All the glory of God was wrapped in flesh. And it's the first example of just how much God loves us. You know, this is what we celebrate on Christmas. You know, on December 25th, every year, we celebrate the coming of Jesus on Christmas. I think, I hope, <laughs> this story, at least all of us know, you know, Mary, she's engaged to Joseph. She's visited by an angel and told that she's going to have a baby, even though she's a virgin. Joseph is told by the same angel not to cancel the wedding. They're headed to Bethlehem to register for the census. And there's no room at the inn, and the baby is coming, so they make their way to a stable. And when Jesus is born, they lay him in a manger. Shepherds are told by an angel what is happening, and they come and visit too. Now, it's a pretty popular story, even outside of the church. I mean, it still makes it on the Charlie Brown Christmas special, doesn't it? It's probably the most popular holiday, and we mark it with exchanging gifts, beautiful music, and for some of us, I guess, debt every year. But the gift of Christmas was Jesus, and it would be true to say that God loved us so much that he gave us Jesus, but it doesn't quite encapsulate the love of God. I mean, for thousands of years, God was God and man was man. Man had something to do with God. He, you know, he worshipped him. And God sometimes made contact with man, worked miracles through the prophets. He provided for his people, yet they were always separate. However, when Christ was born as a man, he truly changed that dynamic of the relationship. The Almighty God wrapped himself in flesh and was born of a virgin. And this baby was born and wasn't born into a noble family. He wasn't raised in a great city. He was brought up the son of a carpenter in a backwater of Israel. And he was brought up to 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 do the work of a carpenter. He was a child, yet he was God. He was a laborer, a carpenter, yet he was the almighty creator of the universe. But this is only a fraction of the love that God has for us. So again, how much does God love us? Again, if you're following along in your Bible, and I, I truly do hope that you are, take your Bible, and we're going to go to another familiar passage, Isaiah chapter 53. And we're going to start in verse 2. He grew up before him like a young plant. And like a root out of dry ground, he didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised. And we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. 
Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. Most of us that are in the church, we know that this is talking about the crucifixion of Christ. You know, Christians around the world observe the day of Christ's death on the cross on Good Friday. You know, the day is marked with solemnity. Many Christians will take communion, and in my church we walk the stations of the cross. But why did Christ die for us? Many will answer it just simply because Jesus loved us. And this is true. There's more to it than that. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And again, this is true. Jesus died for us because we're sinners, but again, there is more. God was born, Jesus was born of Mary. Jesus lived a perfect life here, and when he died on the cross... He paid the penalty for sin for all of mankind. Christ died so that he might give himself to us for new life. In his book, Dare to Believe, Dan Bauman shared some thoughts about the crucifixion. He wrote, The 20th century has forgotten how cruel and hideous crucifixion really was. We have perhaps unwisely and sometimes unconsciously glamorized the cross. Jewelry and steeples are often ornamental and attractive, but carry nothing of the real story of the crucifixion. It was the most painful method of public death in the first century. The victim was placed on a wooden cross. Nails which were also undoubtedly wooden, were driven into the hands and feet of the victim. And then the cross was lifted and jarred into the ground, tearing the flesh of the crucified and racking his body with excruciating pain. Historians remind us that even the soldiers could not get used to the horrible sight and often took strong drink to numb their senses. Jesus endured six hours of such, such anguish just for us so that we might be forgiven of all our sins. Another writer goes on to say that the unnatural position made every movement painful. The lacerated veins and crushed tendons throbbed with incessant anguish. The wounds inflamed by exposure gradually gangrened. The arteries, especially at the head and stomach, became swollen and oppressed with surcharged blood, and while each variety of misery went on gradually increasing, there was added to them the intolerable pang of burning and raging thirst. And all these physical complications caused an internal excitement and anxiety which made the prospect of death itself bear the aspect of a delicious and exquisite release. Have you ever considered that every meal we have ever eaten is composed of things that have died? 
Take, for example, a steak. Would we eat it alive? <laughs> no. The cow has to die. Everything that we eat must die, even fruits and veggies. Sorry, vegans. Day by day, while we are eating, we are killing. Because we chew the food. We kill the fruit. We kill the veggies. We kill the cow, the fish, the pig. Nothing becomes food unless it's dead. If you plant a little grain of wheat, it'll grow. It's alive. But if we take the wheat and we make it bread, we kill it. Christ calls himself the bread of life. And John 6.35 says that had to pass through death in order to give himself to us our new life. Ephesians 2 verses 4 through 5 say, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. This is how much God loves us, but only in part. So again, I ask, how much does God love us? Go ahead and turn your Bible to Luke chapter 24, and we're starting in verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in, but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? asked the men. He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. Every year around Easter, there's an ecumenical movement that spans every church and denomination. All the church signs, the Facebook pages, Twitter feeds, whatever, run a message that says something to the point of, the story doesn't end at the cross. Jesus rose from the dead three days after he was crucified, and we observe it every year on Resurrection Sunday, or, as most people call it, Easter it's normally a day that's marked with celebration and we sing songs like Up from the Grave He Arose. Families get together and eat wonderful meals a lot of times which with ham, which is always amazing. The holiday is almost as popular as, East, as Christmas. And people who aren't religious still celebrate the Easter holiday. I mean, church attendance is the highest on Christmas, but on Easter Sunday, it's almost as high. And churches across the country put on special programs and hold special services to commemorate the day. And there's plenty of reason to celebrate Easter. As Dr. J.R. Miller writes, if you lay in prison in some great fortress, and one who loved you went forth to try to rescue you and fell and died fighting, 
you would cherish the memory of your friend's valiant effort on your behalf, but you would still remain in chains undelivered. So it would have been with those whom Christ came to save if he had not risen. Those for whom he gave his life would have been undelivered. But Christ has conquered death and holds in his hands the keys to the grave. And so it is with Jesus. We are all born into our sin, imprisoned at birth and destined for hell. We are all helpless, condemned to our fate from the moment we are born. Whether we sin a lot in life or not, the presence of sin in our lives separates us from God. In the cross, Jesus bore the price of our sins as the wrath of God was poured on him. In the resurrection, Jesus defeats death, rising again to life. In his book, Because He Lives, Walter Knight writes, If the grave had ended all with the Lord Jesus, there would be utterly nothing beyond death for the children of God. Before Columbus discovered the New World, the coat of arms of Spain bore the motto, Ni plus ultra, which means, there is nothing beyond. The three-mile limit of their shoreline was the limit of their utmost horizon and furthest possibilities. But Columbus envisioned undiscovered worlds beyond, and braved the terrors of the then unknown and uncharted sea. With his discoveries, discoveries, the knee was dropped from the Spanish coat of arms, leaving plus ultra. There is more beyond. Before the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world and brought life and immortality to light, the grave was the utmost limit of all human hopes and expectations. Until Jesus divested death of its sting and turned the radiance of an endless life into the valley of the shadow of death, upon the valley of the shadow of death, so that now there shines from the portals of death the hope-inspiring words, there is more beyond. How much more? Only the unfolding eons of an immeasurable eternity can bring before our wondering eyes. The resurrection shows the power of God over death, but it still doesn't answer the question of his love toward us. So, one more time, how much does God love us? Hopefully you still have your Bible open to Luke chapter 24, but we're going to go to the end of the chapter, starting in verse 50. Then he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was carried up to heaven. I'll just go a page over to Acts 1 and start in verse 8. He was not the light. Oops, I'm sorry. What am I saying? Not a page over. Go to Acts 1. I'm sorry. Acts 1. I don't know why I said John 1. But to Acts 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up as they were watching. And a cloud took him out of their sight. 
While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. When we talk about the love of God, a lot of people answer it in different ways. They answer it with John 3.16 and the story of the birth of Jesus, and we celebrate it on Christmas. Some people answer it that God loved us so much that he died for us, and we recognize it with Good Friday and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and his death. Other people, some most of them probably a little bit older, been in the church for a while, recognize that God loved us so much that he defeated death for us. And we celebrate it with Easter, the idea of new life that was given to us by Jesus conquering death. But I don't think that in all my time in church, or in my schooling, or in anything, that I've ever heard anybody say, God loved us so much that he was came to earth and wrapped himself in flesh, that he died, that he came back from death and then ascended into heaven. That's how much he loved us. And I think the reason is because people don't understand what the ascension really means for us. The ascension typically goes without recognition. I mean, I think most Christians know about Christ's ascension. I mean, as part of his story, but it gets glossed over a lot of the time. I mean, there are no major holidays or observances for most denominations, although there's some. The, assumption, the ascension is observed, especially in the Orthodox Church. Ascension Day or Holy Thursday is always marked 40 days after Easter, Orthodox Easter. The day is also treated with a very solemn as a very solemn occasion, just like Good Friday, with favorite scripture readings and specific liturgy and so on. For those that observe Ascension Day, there's a period of feasting. It's actually pretty epic. They feast for from Thursday until Sunday. I mean, if you're Baptist or you're Nazarene, this is a holiday that we should consider adding. It's not accidental either, though, this period of feasting, because the Sunday that follows Ascension Day commemorates the Council of Nicaea, and that's the same council that gave the early church the Nicene Creed. But despite the way that it's overlooked, I believe that it is the Ascension that matters most for our salvation. See, salvation's not found in the birth of Jesus, in, in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Despite the fact that Jesus is the incarnation of the living God, if it were not for the rest of his time on earth, it doesn't do any good for you as the believer. It's not the cross that, that, that gives salvation to a Christian either. Despite decades of preaching and teaching, despite the incredible devotion and expression of love reflected in the death of Jesus on the cross, it doesn't do us any good if he hasn't ascended. It's not even in the resurrection that a believer is saved, despite 
the road that Christ paved by conquering death. In fact, in the Bible, Jesus isn't even alone in being resurrected to life. There are several examples of resurrection in the Bible. The widow of Zarephath's son in 1 Kings chapter 17, the Shunammite woman's son in 2 Kings 4, the man that rose out of Elisha's grave in 2 Kings 13, the widow of Nain's son in Luke 7, Jairus's daughter in Luke 8, Lazarus in John 11, Tabitha in Acts 9, Eutychus in Acts 20, not to mention the vast amount of resurrections that occurred at the same time as Jesus in Matthew 27. No, the resurrection doesn't bring salvation despite the teaching and preaching that has occurred in the church. Nor is it the ultimate expression of God's love. Before the ascension of Jesus, there was no salvation. Jesus was born of Mary, died on the cross, and was raised from the tomb. But how does that bring us salvation? At the risk of sounding disrespectful, which I'm not trying to be, I'm just trying to explain. How does a Jewish man dying on a cross save us from our sin? As I said earlier, even if he was raised from the dead, he's not the only one. There were many raised on the very same day as Jesus, and none of them brings us salvation. Where does our salvation come from then, if not the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus? Our salvation only comes after the ascension of Jesus to the Father. Think of it this way. Before Jesus ascended, there was nowhere for us to go. John 14 verses 1 through 3 say, Let us let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto me, that where I am, there you may be also. The Bible talks about a place of comfort in Luke 16 in the story of the rich man and Lazarus, but it is distinct from the presence of the Lord that is promised to believers after Jesus died. While many people had followed the law and had served and believed in God, Hebrews 10 tells us that the sacrifices offered every year could not wash away their sins. It is only through Christ's ascension that we find salvation. Jesus brings salvation in the ascension because it is only after the ascension that he sends the Holy Ghost. John chapter 16 verses 7 through 11 say, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. 
And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. The Holy Spirit, according to Jesus, will bring conviction of sin, and it is through conviction that repentance is made. But the Holy Spirit did not come until Jesus ascended. When I was younger, and maybe it hasn't changed that much, but the way that salvation was always explained was that we were supposed to ask Jesus to come into our hearts. This is a very literal and accurate description. It is after the conviction of the Holy Spirit that we repent of our sin and accept the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross that the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts and raises us to salvation. The disciples were the first to experience the indwelling of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost after Christ is left. Just like he promised, he sent the Holy Spirit, which came and dwelt within the disciples. It is through the Holy Spirit that we are sealed to salvation, transformed, and sanctified. But none of this is possible if Jesus does not ascend to the Father. When Jesus ascended, he took the, on the role of the priest, serving as a mediator between God and man. In the Jewish system, a priest mediated between the people and God. Aaron and his descendants were appointed priests with the tribe of Levi serving as assistants in the tabernacle. The high priest was the chief religious leader and had certain duties, and most important of those was the high priest it was the high priest who entered the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. Only the high priest could enter and before doing so, he was required to make a sacrifice for himself. In this way, the high priest was cleansed and could then go on to offer the cleansing sacrifice for the people. And you can find all of that in Leviticus chapter 16. Jesus, as high priest, mediates for us. His sacrifice is what provides cleansing for our sins. Rather than a yearly or even daily sacrifice, Jesus' sacrifice was once for all. In Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to take the time to read this. Um, it actually explains what Jesus is doing. Hebrews chapter 10, and this is going to be a long passage, so bear with me. This is 10 verse 1 through 8, 18 I mean. Since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the reality itself of those things, it can never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. Otherwise, wouldn't they have stopped being offered since the worshipers purified once and for all would no longer have any consciousness of sin? But in the sacrifices there is a reminder of sins year after year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, as he was coming into the world, he said, You did not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then I said, See, it is written about me in the scroll, I have come to do your will, O God. 
after he says above, you did not desire a delight in sacrifices and offerings, whole burnt offerings and sin offerings, which are offered according to the law. He then says, see, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Every priest stands day after day, ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. But this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. The Holy Spirit also testifies about this, for after he says, This is the covenant which I make with them after those days, the Lord says, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds, and I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. Now where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Jesus like the high priest of the Old Testament time, stands in the gap between man and God. He made the necessary sacrifice for us because he shed the very blood of God. We have been made righteous by Jesus and are now able to enter into God's presence. This mediation of Jesus is permanent and continual. Hebrews, just a few chapters uh, before what I just read, in chapter 7, Verses 23 through 25 says, The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. While Jesus' sacrifice was once for all, his mediation for us continues. This is how much God loves us. This is the God we worship there is a saying that floats around on social media and occasionally finds its way onto my Facebook page. It says something to the effect that the same God that created all the stars, the mountains, the oceans, and all the animals looked at the world when he was finished and decided that it needed one of you as well. God created a perfect world, one without pain and sorrow, but we messed it all up. Sin entered creation and through it, all of the pain we know came with it. Psalm 139 says that God knew us and wrote all the days of our lives before we ever existed. We worship a God that loved us before we were born. At the dawn of time, he wrote the story of your life. Knowing that we would be doomed to hell because of our sin, he laid aside his glory and lowered himself to our level, wrapping himself in flesh. He lived a humble life, despite the fact that he could have claimed an earthly throne. He chose to shun his earthly heritage and live the life of a carpenter. Jesus chose to die a humiliating death, one that he could have avoided, but he went willingly to a cross in our place. After he died, Jesus returned to life, defeating death, a fight that we could never have won. And then he ascended to heaven. And even here, 
After he returns to heaven, Jesus shows us his love. Jesus has returned to his glory, reinvested with all the power and majesty that he had when he created the world, but still he chooses to restore our fellowship with God. Jesus entered into the presence of God and laid his blood on the altar, paying the price of sins he never committed. He has mediated between God and man ever since. This is how much God loves us, that from the fall of man, God has worked toward our salvation and continues to do so even now. God loves us so much that right now he stands in heaven inviting us to join him there. He has walked the road before us, making a way for us to join him. He lived a life like you, feeling all the pain the sorrow, the tiredness, the temptations. The Bible says that Jesus was a man of sorrows, that he was acquainted with grief. He tasted death, knowing that it was something that we would all taste. I think it's safe to say that none of us, or at least not most of us, will never have to taste death as painful and humiliating as the cross. And Jesus broke the power of death, creating a way for us to go to heaven when he returned to life. And finally, Jesus secured a way of salvation by laying his blood on the altar, becoming our high priest, and offering his blood to cover our sins. It is offered freely to all. on the off chance that you're listening to this podcast and you've never accepted that offering right now you can do that right now you can accept jesus as your savior right now he's standing he's inviting you all you have to do is accept it For the rest of you that are listening, Christians, maybe you've accepted Jesus. Maybe you've wandered away. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14 say, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. It's not normal for a Christian to be lukewarm. Christians are supposed to live godly lives Love the things of God. If we are willingly living in sin, looking at sinful things, doing sinful things, going places where we shouldn't, we are grieving the Holy Spirit. And the easier it becomes, the farther from God we have wandered. It is not normal for a Christian to be okay with that. If you find yourself there, please repent. Come back to Christ.
Well, that's going to do it for today's episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. I hope that you learned something. Um, if you want to get a hold of me, I have three ways for you to do so. Give me any feedback you want, any themes, characters you want to look at. I'm getting some new material, so I'm going to be looking at some new things and studying them and hopefully, you know, continuing the show and uh, hopefully you guys will continue along and enjoy it. Um, you can get a hold of me through email. You can email me at biblechatpodcast84 at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook on the Bible Chat Facebook page. Um, and if you are so inclined, you can find me on Patreon, Bible Chat Podcast. And there's a couple tiers on there or whatever if you feel so inclined. Um, if not, then I guess I'll see you guys back here next week. I hope you have a blessed day. This has been Bible Chat with your host, Caleb Sowers. Thank you.